Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston, Executive Recruiter, Director of Recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. And today, I have someone that's going to teach you how to tell a story. So let me tell you a little bit about Sarah Elkins. She's a communication coach, strengths finder coach, and author of the new book, Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will. This book helps readers improve their communication, leadership, and relationship, and also helps them uncover personal stories and share them with the right audience. Today, she joins, joins us to discuss career storytelling, a topic that is essential for job seekers to understand in order to take their search to the next level. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks, Casey. It's lovely to be here with you. <laughs> I am so excited that you agreed to, you know, that you said yes when I got my ask in gear, and I did say ask in gear. <laughs> but <laughs> first, before we kind of dig into the meat of the topic today, I love to tell people how I got connected with someone. And so do you remember how we got connected? I think it was through the Givitas and yes. Frank Adrian. Yes, yes. So Give a Toss, for those of you that don't know it, this is just a platform that I've just recently found, is based um, by the company Give and Take, which is based on the reciprocity ring, which is something I'm exploring right now. I'll bring more about that to you later once I find out everything about it. But um, so Give a Toss is a platform where you can, it's divided up into different groups. I happened to be on the podcast group that day, and you can make an ask, ask or you can make an offer. And Sarah had an ask to be on podcast to help promote her new book. And that's how we met. That's right. So, so Sarah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, it's a long story, but we'll start with just a short one. Okay. When, um, when I was watching, well, I was living in Washington, D.C. with my husband in uh, 1999 and had our first son in October of 98. And I had gone back to work, had this wonderful nanny, and would cry all the way to work when I left the baby with her. Mm. And this is, this is unusual because, first of all, I don't cry much. It's just not something I do very often. And second, I didn't even want children. This was kind of a surprise for me that, An um, that I was... It, well, no, we actually... <laughs> I'm impulsive. We'll just put it that way. Okay. I'm impulsive. <laughs> so um, I finally decided, well, maybe we should have a kid and... and we got pregnant pretty quickly, had the baby. I was so devoted to my career that it really surprised me that I would cry on my way to work because I, I thought that my career was really important to me. And it was interesting the way that my priorities just shifted so dramatically, almost overnight. And I'll never forget the moment that I decided that it seemed silly to have a baby and have somebody else raise him. And one night I had a conversation with my mother and I was just sobbing. And she said, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I'm looking at this beautiful baby. And I said, it's just, now I know how much you love me. And of course, now we're both crying. Aww. And it was literally a couple weeks later, my husband was offered a job in Montana, in Helena, Montana. And four weeks after that, we were in a big truck driving across the country. 
So we've been here now 21 years. And nice. yes, and I've realized over the past maybe five or so that storytelling is really the key to healthy relationships when it comes to your communication. And um, so that's what I do now. I'm a storytelling coach, a communication coach, and I help people identify the right stories to share at the right time. Awesome. I know a lot of people would say that I could probably use your coaching so that I tell the right stories <laughs> at the right time. So, um, so as a communication coach, you've mentored many individuals and businesses that sought to improve their communication skills. What are some of the challenges a company faces when it comes to communication and why do they face them? Well, uh, you know, there are all kinds of reasons that we struggle with leadership and management. And one thing that I know after nearly 20 years in the public sector is that oftentimes people are promoted to management positions that don't have any training in it and don't really understand what it takes to lead people. And as my friend Kimberly Davis says in her book, Brave Leadership, the command and control style of leadership no longer works. Mm. And that's kind of where our current managers in most and the majority of companies and public sector agencies come from is that command and control style of leadership. So I think this issue when it comes to employee engagement and the communication issues we have internally is a lack of care and transparency. So if more leaders understood how to care for people and were trained to provide that kind of caring leadership, I think we would see a big improvement. You know, I think you said something there that I think is so key transparency mm -hmm. and communication, because I know that so many times, you know, as employees, you know, I've been both a business owner and an employee, but I know on the employee side, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't get communicated and you're just, and so your mind starts making up stories about what's really going on. Right. And it couldn't, sometimes couldn't be further mm -hmm. from the truth. So this is, I think this is a great time to really talk about the importance of communication and how it affects a company's culture. Sure. Yes. Well, as we said before, just a moment ago, transparency is the key and how you share information makes a difference in how people remember it. So um, when you talk about communication in an organization, being able to demonstrate the behaviors you want to see in your employees is the key. And a lot of leaders forget that they have to be the one that drives that culture. So they have to be they have to demonstrate some level of vulnerability. They have to be able to share emotion to a certain extent, and they have to be able to communicate a vision to their employees. That is so true, so true. You know, I kind of did a little trick question on you and I said, tell me a little bit about yourself because now I wanna take it to the candidate side. Um, so that's an interview question that gets asked quite frequently. You know, I coach around that when I'm prepping candidates to go meet with a client. So the interview question, tell me about yourself, can sometimes paralyze candidates if they're not prepared for it. Um, how can storytelling skills ease this anxiety and help those candidates just, I mean, hit a home run and nail it? That is the perfect question. It's the perfect question. And there's actually a whole chapter in my book on that topic of, the tell me about yourself kind of question, which always makes me uncomfortable. Like, well, what do you want to know? You want to know where I was born? You want to know what schools I went to? Do you want to know my family? You know, how many siblings I have? It can be such an open-ended question. And as a candidate, 
open-ended questions are not really that pleasant. So I always suggest that um, you start collecting certain stories when you're going to be um, interviewed. And that's the book actually helps you develop what I call a story portfolio. Ooh, and you like think that. about this. Thank you. And you think about the stories that really demonstrate the qualities, skills, and values that you have as a human being. So I tell the story about how my priority shifted when I had a baby. Um, I tell a story about um, a time that I led a project called the Transfer Initiative at the Montana University System. And I tell a very specific incident about losing data and how we recovered it as a team, how I led that recovery, the decisions that I made, the um, people who were involved in the recovery of that data, and how we made it a success despite that, that critical juncture of data. And when a candidate can tell a story like that um, to really demonstrate their values and who they are as a team player, then that's, that's the key to nailing that question. I love it. I, I'd like to share with you what I share with my candidates because I'd, I'd love your feedback if I'm even advising them the right way. Do you mind? Mm -hmm. Not at all, of course. Okay. So usually when I talk to them about how to answer that question, and it is about telling a story, but I say, don't think about an elevator pitch. Think more like a commercial because you want to have the, the difference is a commercial has a hook and it, and it, to keep you from changing the channel. Um, and it's short and sweet. So your elevator ride is short and sweet too, but your commercial has a hook, right? And so I want mm -hmm. you to think of something that's not readily apparent on your resume, but still professionally related and talk about that and show your excitement for that and see where that goes. I kind of feel like that's telling them to tell a story. That's, I, I think that's a really good idea in terms of uh, people know what a commercial sounds like. Mm -hmm. know that it's supposed to be persuasive. Right. So um, in that way, it's definitely great advice. And I would even go a step further and suggest that the, um, the person think of a specific story at work that really describes who they are. Okay. So, so for instance, um, tell me about yourself. I would tell, let's see, if I'm trying to get a job as a salesperson, I would tell them a story about something that I sold somehow that I was persuasive. I would say, well, the best way to tell you about myself is to tell you this story. And every time you do that, what it does is it connects you really tightly to, or deeply to the person in front of you. And it also will trigger their story. So they'll want to share with you afterward. And that's what develops that deep connection with your interviewer. So I for instance, um, yeah, I could tell a story about when I was the director of sales at a hotel and how I um, I took a bride and her mother to lunch at the restaurant inside the hotel because I knew that once they had the food, I would get that sale. I knew that they would have the rehearsal dinner at my hotel. And I sat down with them and of course the food was outstanding and I gave them some ideas about other aspects of wedding planning because I knew if I offered service Mm -hmm. that they would be connected with me. And of course we got that sell. Give value so first. That's, I that's love it. That's a story I would share. Exactly. Exactly. That is awesome. Awesome. 
So one of the topics you cover, you've covered on your blog and podcast is taking responsibility for your story. And I love this topic because it really focuses on accountability for the candidate. Um, and, and it builds that trust that you were just talking about. But how can a job candidate use storytelling to take responsibility for gaps in their resume or terminations in a way that may not be quite so positive? Well, first of all, I think any any person that is telling a story that has a lesson in it is going to connect more deeply with their audience. So not all my stories are happy stories. Mm -hmm. I can tell you about a situation where I, I, had, um, I had a boss that was kind of abusive to me. She, she said things that really took my confidence to a, a very low level. And I could tell a story about why I left that job even though I didn't have another one to come to. And I realized that I was learning so much about myself and about my professional skills in that position that there was a point where I had to walk away to be able to step up for myself and do the right thing for my family. So I was coming home every night and drinking a martini. <laughs> that's not good. No. <laughs> Especially mean, not with a baby at home. And, well, no, this is when our boys were much bigger. <laughs> but it was, um, it, was a, it was one of those situations where I had to leave this job for my health and for my well-being. And any employer that hears you say, this was affecting my health mm -hmm. and um, this is why it was affecting my confidence. And then you tell the story about how the next time this came up in your life, you were able to handle it differently so that they see the personal growth. They see that you took responsibility for yourself. You took responsibility for the, the role you may have played in that abusive situation, how you may have contributed to it in some way, which is either not stepping up for yourself or um, sabotaging or poking. I, I had a tendency every once in a while to poke that bear. And I learned a lot about how not to do, why I was doing it, why I was sabotaging myself and my relationship with this particular boss. And if you can tell a story about what you learned from that, then you can describe why there was that gap. That is amazing advice. And I just, you know, one of the things that I want to caution people though, is you're not telling them, you're not telling them to make up a story. You're telling them to make, no. tell a story about something that's already happened. Absolutely. And tell the <laughs> truth because tell the truth. as we all know, we will find out. I mean, if you think for one second that that potential employer isn't Googling you yep. and checking out what you're saying on LinkedIn and on Facebook, you're sadly in denial. So being able to tell the truth. And, and honestly, I think one of the best things about preparing for something like this is that you start thinking about your story from that perspective. What did I learn from that? And you start processing the experience in a much more positive way instead of placing blame and judgment on the organization or on the person that really drove you from that job, you start looking at what your behavior was that might've contributed. You start looking at potential patterns in your life. Oh, wait a minute, that's not the first time that happened to me. And you start recrafting that story with lessons. And that's how you share your story. It's like 20% of your story is the, the setup Right. And the, the situation and the other 80% is the lessons you learned from it, the resilience you demonstrated. Awesome. Awesome. I think that I've learned something already about that I'm going to use 
when I coach my candidates on preparing for that interview. So thank you for that. Um, another topic you cover is active listening, which I have to just stop real quick and tell you a quick story because I am currently in coaching school and apparently you have to be a really good listener and I'm not. So <laughs> I'm having to learn. So I really want to dig into this topic on active listening because um, it is, it's essential, especially in anything you do, but in communication, it's essential. So how does someone practice active listening and how does it strengthen the conversation? But I'd like to start with the fact that certain assessments, personality assessments, can help you understand why you might not be a good listener or why you might be a great listener. So, for instance, I'm also a certified strengths coach through Gallup. So, strengths. I love Finder. that. <laughs> yes, and I love it too. And one of the things it really helped in my coaching was to look at my top strengths and go, oh, that's why I sometimes give too much advice and don't listen enough. I have command of my top strengths. Me and too. So, and ideation. So I don't have that one. The, okay, well, the command is part of why you have trouble being a good listener is because you want to come up with a solution. When you see somebody floundering, you cannot help but insert yourself as a leader. If you see your family trying to decide what to do next and there's kind of this floundering going around, you cannot help but just place yourself in the middle and say, this is what we're doing. It drives you crazy to, to see a lack of leadership or to perceive, and that's an important word there, to right. perceive a lack of leadership. So when it comes to active listening and practicing it, there are a few things that I do. One thing, because of that command, I have, I always, this is your major distraction right here is your phone. Um, if one of my sons is talking to me I make sure they see me take my phone, turn it upside down, and put it on a surface. They see me do that, and they know that means I'm there. I'm with them. I'm totally present. And when I do it, it's also a signal to me not to be distracted. That's my, okay, you need to pay attention cue. So I do that first. And the next thing I do is I lean in. Um, even You can see even in video. I just did it, even though I somebody... just... Just because you said it, I just leaned in. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of magic that way. You yeah. lean in, you're leaning forward, and you're trying to make eye contact. And the thing that keeps me from jumping in and giving advice and listening better is approaching it with curiosity. So active listening is all about curiosity. It's about asking clarifying questions. It's about... Um, making sure you understand what that person is saying to you and watching for other physical cues. So even in video, you can see if suddenly somebody leans back and crosses their arms. You can see that in a video. Mm -hmm. You can see in a video when somebody is leaning forward and they're really paying attention. You can tell. And so active listening, I always recommend you actually practice and the best way to do it is actually to get two friends together so there are three of you. And you practice by telling each other a story. One is the active listener, one is the story sharer, and the third one is the observer. And you take turns, each one of you tells a story for maybe three minutes. Three minutes can be a perfect amount of time because active listening can be exhausting. If you're doing it right, it is not a passive exercise. <laughs> so. Practicing with friends like that gives you a much better feel for what it is supposed to feel like. And that's, that's the key to active listening is how does it feel different 
from passive listening. So that's what I would recommend is practice. Love it. Love it. And I'm working on that. <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully I'm getting a little <laughs> bit better. But I think you're right when it comes to that command. I just like, I'm like, I can fix this. I, can, I, I got this, you know. So and, I, <laughs> and that's one of the hardest things in coaching is that you don't fix it. You let them figure out how to fix it. And you have to. Right. It just. To some extent, I and I agree with that in terms of asking questions to make sure that you really understand what the question is. There are also situations where I've been coaching for years and some people really do want you to step in. Some people, too many items overwhelms them. So asking them a bunch of questions doesn't always support them the way they need to be supported. So there are certain coaching clients that will not come to you because of that command. <laughs> and there are other coaching clients that need you because of that command. And if you try to turn off your command, you're not going to serve yourself or your coaching clients well. No, no. You got to show up. You got to show up. And you won't always be the best coach for every person. I, I can totally get that. Because I know there's some coaches I've worked that I've, interviewed or done the exploratory, you know, conversation with it. I'm like, yeah, this isn't, this doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. And so that's not the right coach for you. Right. So, and I love exactly. so much that you are a, a certified strengths finder coach, because I could probably talk to you for days on end about that. I'm so fascinated with that, but let's talk about, you know, why it's important for candidates to identify their strengths and how this is, you know, going to improve with their job search or even their current job? Well, just like any other assessment, having somebody to walk you through where you can use those strengths with more intention and then also where those strengths might be getting in your way and creating obstacles, that's the key. So whether you're taking StrengthsFinder, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, uh, DISC, whatever assessment it is, make sure that you have somebody that is trained in it to walk you through the results. Because otherwise, your self-reflection stops itself. It doesn't go to the next yeah. step, which is application. And I'm very practical. It's all about application for me. So um, I would encourage somebody to take an assessment and understand a little more about how they solve problems and how they build relationships. What, what are your key um, intuitive abilities when it comes to building relationships and solving problems. So once you understand that, you also can see where they're getting in your way. Like command, for instance, what we were mm -hmm. just talking about. I know exactly where that command gets in my way. I also know where it's really useful when I'm using it with intention. Gotcha. So the other thing that I do a little differently from my other colleagues that are StrengthsFinder coaches is that I help people use stories to demonstrate their strengths. That's really the key for my work with StrengthsFinder coaching. Um, for instance, I'm not going to go and tell you, oh, I'm a strategic activator. If I'm in an interview, that, that's going to be meaningless. Even if it's somebody who knows StrengthsFinder, that will be a meaningless sentence. I'm mm -hmm. a strategic activator. But if I tell them a story that demonstrates my strategic activator, then they'll know immediately whether I'm a good fit for that position. And you don't want to get a position that you're not a good fit for. Absolutely. 
That is so true because it's not going to last and nobody's going to be happy. Exactly. You won't find satisfaction in it. And that's the other aspect of knowing your strengths is that once you can use them with intention, you're going to find your work far more satisfying, no matter what you're doing. Absolutely. So what other storytelling tips can you share that might help others improve the way they write their resumes? Oh, that's a good question. Um, honestly, if I had to have another resume, I, this is the best thing about self-employment is that I, I don't really have to have a resume. <laughs> but if I were to have a resume, I think I would hire somebody who really understood how to make story in your resume because you can't have more than two sentences really to describe a story. Um, but I have a few go resume writers that I refer people to so that they do it right. I don't, I don't do resumes. I can help, um, but that's not really my, what I do, but I do help with interviews. I've done a lot of interview coaching over the years. Um, but yes, finding somebody who can help you write your resume so that it includes the story as opposed to saying I'm a team player. It, that's, that's something I talk about a lot is I can tell you I'm a great cook, but until you've experienced my cooking, you can't know that. So it's kind of silly for me to say I'm a good cook or I'm really smart or I'm a team player. I'm detail oriented. Can, I'm detail oriented. I know why even put that on your resume? If you're not, maybe you don't need I mean, this job. I mean, going to say you're not. <laughs> Right. And that's the thing is you're not going to say I'm not detail oriented. That's come across. But what you can do is tell a story. So I like to give this example. My husband and I um, installed a wood burning pizza oven in our backyard a few years back. And we are at high altitude. So any kind of rising bread, any kind of dough is tricky at high altitude. And over the course of a few months, I was perfecting the dough and the crusts as you know, is really the key to a good pizza. Yes. And just this summer, just a, a few weeks ago, I think I made the best crust I've ever made. And the, the trick to, we like the Tuscan style pizza crust. The, the trick to that is very slow rising, cold rising. So you make the sponge with the yeast and the, and the water and the flour, and you let it rise a little, then you add more water and flour, get a paste and let it rise a little more. And when I finally made the pizza, my husband put it in on the pizza peel into the, the pizza oven. And when it came out five minutes later, the edges had just popped up into those bubbles and they were crispy on the edge. And when you broke into it, it was like all elasticy. It was perfect. <laughs> and the topping on that one was brown, just a little bit of crispy sage in it from our garden and capers and a little bit of goat cheese, just little dots of goat cheese on top. And I'm telling you, this stuff was amazing. I want pizza. So now we're, we're salivating, right? Yeah. Both of us. I'm, yeah. I'm hungry all of a sudden. It's long past lunch. But when you can tell a persuasive story like that, I know that if you were anywhere in Montana, you'd come here for pizza. I may be on my way tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so tell us a little bit more about your book. This is your time to shine. Is this your first book? It is. Oh, how exciting. Um, well, it's my first published book. <laughs> and I was worried for a little while that, um, you know, I keep hearing that your first book is always crap. You know, <laughs> don't worry about your book. It's kind of like the first pancake, right? 
And so I had this anxiety as it was getting ready to go to print. And then I thought about, I realized it's not really my first book. I've started at least four books before this one was completed. I started one about 10 years ago when I thought customer service and customer experience was going to be my, my key, you know, my major topic. And I started writing a book called how, um, how to get what you want and get people to love you for it. And it was all about customer service from both perspectives that if you want good customers you have to be a good customer. So that was the first book. And then I wrote a book based on all my blog posts. And then I started another book because I wasn't satisfied with that one. So it really wasn't my, my first published book. But it it's, sounds like you're passionate fun. about it. I am. This is one that um, I'm, I'm really satisfied with. And just like most creatives, I would go back and maybe change sentences here and there. I might add something now, but I'm, I'm really satisfied with the results of the book because I keep hearing from people how valuable it has been to them. Just, it was only released on Sunday, May 31st. I know, I haven't had a chance to get it yet. <laughs> Thank you. But even within just a week, I was hearing from people that they read it all in one day and did the exercises and the worksheets and they're developing this clarity about what they want and where they want to go next and how to share an important story to persuade and to lead. And most importantly, the fact that when you share a story well, you draw out the stories of the people around you. And to me, that's the magic. Storytelling isn't just about persuasion and entertainment. It's about connection and it's about getting somebody else to open up that level of vulnerability to truly connect. So that's it. what I'm most proud of for that book. Well, Sarah, how do people get in touch with you, find you, find your book? I am at elkinsconsulting.com, E-L-K-I-N-S consulting.com. And um, I have different pages devoted to the book, the podcast, and also the communication coaching that I do with teens and retreats. Um, one of my favorite things to do is help somebody, help a small company bring a retreat to Montana to big sky country. And then I host strengths finder workshops for them. Oh, I fun. love doing that. Yeah, Montana is a beautiful place um, and fantastic place for a retreat. Cause you really can't go anywhere once you're settled in to that location. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and it's beautiful, the hiking and fishing. And um, anyway, so elkinsconsulting.com and the book is available on bookshop.org. If you prefer to, um, support the independent booksellers. It's also available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It's called Your Stories Don't Define You. And the subtitle is How You Tell Them Will. I love it. I love it. So we are at a point of our show where we ask our VIP questions. Are you ready for those? Absolutely. Okay. And these are just designed, everybody interprets them a little bit differently. And we do that. We worded them intentionally that way. So you answer however you feel the question speaks to you, okay? So if you were one of the chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? Oh, goodness. Well, I, I wouldn't start with people because that would be too hard because yeah. that would have to be my family. And the thing that I thought about in that moment is what if they don't want to come? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just think, I'll, I'll just say three things. Um, one would be my espresso maker, 
The second would be espresso, <laughs> as much as I needed. Girl needs her and caffeine. The one, uh, I love espresso. And um, and the third thing would be some sort of a device or phone or something where I could have um, plenty of music and books to read. I'm with you on that one for sure. For sure. I need to have my books. So what is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? One thing I do each morning. Oh, I sit with my dog. I actually, I get my cup of coffee, my espresso, and I sit down in my kitchen and sometimes I'll actually sit on the floor because that's when the dog will come up and just snuggle on me. And I literally just sit there with him to enjoy that moment of peace. He's huge. He's almost 110 pounds. And sits down next. I'm little. We weigh about the same. (laughs) I don't weigh much more than he does. And when he sits next to me, I feel so safe and comforted. It's just a great way to, to start the day feeling safe and comfortable because then I can step out of my comfort zone and do something really interesting afterward. That's great. And it's a, it's a moment of silence, meditation, you know, um, I love that. And I think that, you know, a lot of people use that and successfully in their own version. So, mm-hmm. all right. My last question for you, if your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? Improving relationships one story at a time. Love it. That's awesome. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on today. And I want to just give a quick shout out to Give a Toss and the Give and Take crew um, just for putting that platform out there so that I could meet great people like Sarah. And Sarah, I just have one more thing to say to you. Yes. You are a VIP. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much. And that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.